Hey, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Stand Up Utah. Um, now, I, I'm going to kind of get this rolling and, and do a little bit of introduction uh, with Aaron and I and then talk about what the show is going to be about just to give you an idea of where we're at and what's going on. So um, just to give a little bit of background, I met Aaron when I uh, I kind of sort of accidentally became the uh, precinct chair at a caucus meeting um, because nobody else could really do it and make it to all the conventions and so that's kind of how that got started um and i started getting more and more involved in things and started you know paying attention to some of these issues and as i've kind of gotten deeper and deeper into the ways that the parties work and and stuff like that i i've really just gotten to the point where it's like you know there's some stuff that um we need to change we need to work on and Anyway, I talk to other people and they're as frustrated as I am with, with a lot of the things that go on, right? Um, it seems like a lot of things are kind of going right. This legislative session, and we'll talk about that here in a, in a little bit. But, you know, I look at things and like, you know, we see now I have to give him some credit, right? Because Mitt Romney, he does, he is that 50th vote on a lot of stuff. But, he, you know, when 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 we're looking at it and we're thinking they're, the, the Republicans in the Senate are going to cave, right? It seems like he's always one of the guys on on that in that group, right? Um, we look at some of the things the legislature's done, right? And so, like the the transgender bill, you know, was a, a giant fight last time, and this time it seemed like they were able to mostly get things through the way that we wanted them to go, right? The school choice thing is a big step forward, I think, you know, and that's been a giant fight, you know, and so we're making we're making headway. But why does it have to be a giant fight? You know, you think you look at things and you think here in Utah, we'd be able to, you know, screw our heads on straight and get this stuff figured out. So I wanted a place where we could come. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so I wanted a place where we could come and talk about this kind of thing and talk about what's going on and really just give people uh, a place to go where they can be aware of what's happening in Utah and in um, the, the places that we are, and instead of covering the, the national news. So like, um, I listen to Glenn Beck and Ben Shapiro and, you know, some of those other folks. And what I find is that they're often talking about a lot of the same things. And then when I really think about it, I realize that I don't know that there's anything I can do about it. And so then I look at the issues here in Utah, right. And I can call up my uh, House rep- representative, I can call up my senator. Uh, I can organize a bunch of other people. We can go up to Salt Lake. Um, I, I actually took my daughter last year to the uh, March for Life, right? And so there are a lot of things that we can be doing that that put us in a position to make a difference, right? And I think if we get organized and we're paying attention to these things, we can change the trajectory of a lot of these, th- a lot of the things that I've already mentioned. You know, maybe we can get rid of Mitt Romney. Maybe we can, you know, put somebody in who's better as governor, right? Maybe we can uh, turn over more school board seats, which is another big win that we had this last midterm election, right? And so, you know, and if it's not that, then it's maybe I can support Pro-Life Utah, or maybe I can support, you know, some of the, the Utah Parents United, or, you know, some of the other groups out there that are working on some of the problems I see but I just don't know how to get involved. 
And the other thing is, is I would love to get a whole bunch of people to show up at the caucus meeting in two years and really change the shape of the delegates. So I guess I organized my thoughts and then I just kind of rambled. But um, let me just kind of go down my list real quick of the, of the reasons, and then um, I'll let you introduce yourself, Aaron. Um, but but yeah, so ultimately, I think a lot of our issue is that anybody can run as a Republican, right? You register as a Republican, you can run as a Republican. Uh, you and I have both run for public office, right? And yeah, you just check the boxes, right? You pay the fee and you're on the ballot. And yeah. not, not no all the candidates are good. Yeah, right? So yep. not all the candidates are good candidates. Not all of the candidates are candidates that are going to represent the values we have. And I just want a place where we can come and we can talk about those values and talk about the issues and help people know what to do so that we can get more people in that make the difference there. And then I don't want to talk about the stuff that all the talking heads on the syndicated shows are talking about. Like sometimes it'll bleed into Utah, right? And what are we going to do about it? And we can support local politicians who will stand up to it. But I'm, I, I'm not interested in talking about document scandals and stuff because there's nothing we can do to change that. Um, do you have any documents in your garage right now, Charles? I double-checked. I do have some okay. campaign, campaign signs from a school board run, but that's about it. So, <laughs> I have some of my campaign signs, too. Yeah, my, I have a lot of those. City council, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... The other issue that I see, and I haven't talked so much about this, but I've talked to a lot of people that said I left the Republican Party because nothing's going to change. And I feel like what happens is there's a steady stream of people that come in, they try, they get disenfranchised, and then they fall out the bottom. And if we can get some of those people to come back and we can continue to build the ranks and then give people the perspective, hey, look, we're not going to be able to change this overnight in one election cycle. But if we continually work on it, then we get to the point where we can pass bills like the ones that I talked about earlier. Um, so, so that's that's the other thing. And so I want to focus on the Utah news, the Utah stuff, the stuff we can change, the stuff we can make a difference on. Um, I am looking at starting a national show, but it's going to have a completely different focus. And it's also going to be on what we can change, what we can do, right? If, if, it's, if it's not something that we can really... Uh, make an impact on, then I probably won't cover it. Um, this this is actionable stuff, right? This isn't just uh, your average listen to what's going wrong in the world and uh, be upset about it uh, type broadcast. Right. right? Okay. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately what makes us different, in my opinion, from some of the other shows out there. Because I like Rod Arquette. Um, I listen to Political as Heck with uh, Corey uh, Astle. Yeah. You know, and so um, but but they they delve a lot into those national issues and they delve a lot into these things that are outrageous and ultimately not something that we can make a difference on right now. And so rather than cover that, you know, I just want to go deep on a topic. Hey, look, this is the issue. These are the things that are going on. This is what's feeding into it. Here's what we can do about it. Here's here are the steps you can take in 20 minutes or so of your week. And then we can move the needle on these issues, right? And then if Absolutely. several things come up, then I imagine that we could just get on and say, look, we talked about, I don't know, the state budget or something, right? Something in the state budget. We talked about schools, funding schools. And there's some other bill that's coming up that's important. So you and I get on 
and we just cover it in five to 10 minutes and just say, hey, look, here's what you need to know and here's what you need to do. And that way we can give people timely stuff, but still help people understand what's going on and what they can do to make a difference. So that that's what I want to do. And so we may go deep on a legislative bill that's coming through the, the legislature, right? And we may get into the weeds on it. But at the end of the day, then it's, okay, now that you understand the issue, here's how you talk to your Congress, your uh, representative or your senator about it, right? And then the next time we may have some organization that's making a difference somewhere. Yeah, and ultimately there's so much to cover. Um, I was I was counting out my uh, priority bills that I'm tracking this session, and there's 64 of them. Uh, which uh-huh. you know, it's not it's not the 500 bills that have been numbered so far, uh, but it's it's still a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you think about how often those are coming up for a vote uh, in Utah during the legislative session, there's always something to be doing, whether or not you agree with you know my position on something or Chuck's position on something or to oppose it, there's always something that you can be doing to make a difference, mm-hmm. especially at the state level in Utah, you really do feel like you're moving the needle. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is that whether you agree with me or Aaron or whether we both agree or disagree, the other thing is, is that at least you'll understand one side or both sides of the issue as we cover it. Right. And so yeah, you'll absolutely. be conversant with the issue. And so then if you decide to take different action from what we give you, at least you're informed. Absolutely. So um, what I'd like to do here is just, you know, do you want to introduce yourself, let people know who you are and kind of how you got into this stuff and what you look at as you evaluate these kinds of things? Yeah. So my name is Aaron Bullen and, uh, live in the same town as a checker in, in Lehigh, just on the opposite end. And uh, similarly, I just showed up at a caucus meeting. Uh, I was uh, nominated to be a delegate for the first time in 2016. Uh, I was actually uh, there to vote in the presidential preference primary. If you recall, there's there's a lot of people who showed up for that because that was the only way mm-hmm. to vote in the presidential primary in 2016. Uh, so I absolutely was politically agnostic at the time and the only thing that got me out of my house was you know determining who the republican nominee was uh and i wasn't even that republican like i had voted for you know democrats before but anyway you'll you'll get what that's funny as we begin (laughs) talking about some stuff now uh i'm quite quite conservative (laughs) already described myself um but yeah, I, I just went on from there, decided that this is really important and it was a really great way to make a difference. Uh, you know, since then I've, you know, been every level of delegate in the state and I've gotten involved with a nonprofit called Pro-Life Utah, which advocates for pro-life issues, but mostly we're a charity that gives money to women in need who are in crisis pregnancies. and. Uh, afraid and uh, considering not keeping the baby. So uh, we help them and we have baby showers all the time to help out those women. And it's incredibly rewarding. So uh, mainly my, you know, focus is uh, the pro-life issues, but uh, also a concentration of mine is education issues. I have a bunch of little kids who are in school. And so I want to make sure that the education system is, is functioning and accountable. Uh, and a lot of other cultural issues that I pay attention to. 
yeah. kind of made in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because uh, when I met you, I thought that, well, once I really got to know you, I thought you'd been doing this for a lot longer than I have. But I, I was nominated as the uh, precinct chair in 2016. Um, and yeah, like I said, it was because I could go to both conventions. And so in at least in the Utah County Republican Party, the precinct chair is both the state and um, and county delegate. And so... And it- that's, that's anyway, why it's so funny there. when it's so funny when people say like, oh, only like the party elites are part of the caucus system and, and voting in these conventions. I'm like, no, no, I was absolutely the random guy on the street yep. that showed up, um, you know, got elected to a position, and you know, turned out that I had some principles and values I was unaware of before <laughs> as yep. I really began looking into some of these issues. Uh, so, yeah, it, you know, I, I am a firm believer that the uh, caucus convention system, um, it's a neighborhood representation system, and it's just average people who participate and maybe they care enough to show up and go to a political convention all day, but besides that, they're just average people. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, yeah, so, and I was in kind of the same boat, I mean, uh, by then, I was kind of listening to some of the, you know, the nationally syndicated folks and uh, had formed some opinions on some stuff. But um, the the other reason I went was that I kept seeing people get elected to things. And then it, you know, I'm just like, why are we electing these people if they're not going to represent us? And so I was like, well, I can go to the caucus meeting and, you know, get involved that way. And that in that way, you know, maybe I can help be a vote to head off some of these people and help get the good folks in. And I was a little naive in the way that I thought about that. Cause I just, I didn't understand how it all worked, but at the end of the day, yeah. I mean, if you, if you get enough of the right people in, in the caucus meetings, uh, you really can change the shape of the race. And so uh, I got involved Absolutely. there and then got involved kind of at the legislative district level. Um, you know, I've helped out with some other stuff. Uh, I ran for school board. I was actually, I've actually, um, I'm not currently on the school board for my kids charter school, but that was after 10 and a half years of being on the school board or on the board for the charter school. So, um, you know, I, I'm very involved in education. Uh, you know, I've been involved in a lot of other community things like boy scouts and, and stuff like that. And, and I just, I see what is coming and honestly it's, it is frightening, but then you see people stand up to it and realize, I just realized that if we can give more people the tools to stand up, you know, that that's where a lot of the difference is made. And so, so that's kind of a, a nice yeah. segue into one of the major concentrations of the legislative session thus far, which was a HB 215, the Ed Choice Bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which, which passed, it was a signed by the governor, uh, which, you know, there, there's been quite a few things signed by the governor thus far, which are fairly surprising, uh, mm-hmm. mostly because in the past he has opposed these things. Uh, last year he opposed the uh, Ed Choice um, initiative. Um, mm-hmm. By the end of the last legislative session, I opposed the Ed Choice bill because it had so many strings attached. But um, this... <laughs> This year, it was a lot better form. Um, there was a 
a lot more uh, autonomy built into the bill and a lot more separation of, of homeschool. Um, so I, you know, I ended up uh, liking it, but, you know, there's actually a lot of people, um, you know, on the conservative side who really dislike it. Uh, obviously, a, a lot of people um, who are on the left dislike it. They prefer uh, public school um, mm -hmm. and, and don't want anyone to try to do private school or homeschool. But uh, a lot yeah. of different views on that subject. Yep, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting too, just from the standpoint of, um, I mean, it seems like some of the usual characters came out in opposition, right? Because they always oppose it. Um, I, I have to say, I saw a few people on Twitter said they're leaving the state because they basically ruined public education. I, I think they're overestimating the impact of this particular bill. Um, I think uh, for the most part, there are going to be a handful more people that choose another route. And I think most everybody else is just going to stay in the public school. I really don't think it's going to impact that unless yeah, it's not working and, for their kids. Well, and for now it's not, you know, I would say it's not fully funded. I mean, it's only funding right. 5,100 scholarships. Those are mm -hmm. prioritized uh, towards the uh, low income uh, mm -hmm. applications. And so, you know, you or I, you know, we might apply, but may not get, you know, the first right. year or until, it catches on and it's funded more, but I, mm -hmm. I do like the start of this. I do believe that it brings more accountability to the education system. And by that, I don't mean like the regulations that are currently on public education and that, I mean, there's a lot of requirements for public ed that are uh -huh. quite frankly annoying and useless. Um, but I mean, uh, when, you know, parents are speaking up, and there's something mm -hmm. frustrating going on. Is there any driving motivation for that school to change? And right. uh, in my experience, there's not much of that to go around. There's a whole lot more motivation uh, for legislators uh, to listen to how you feel and uh, maybe vote in a certain way than there is for like a school board member to listen to how you feel and vote in a certain <laughs> way or, or to craft a policy that, that right. fits your needs. So uh, unfortunately, that's just the case. People pay more attention to bigger races and the races that are smaller that you think would be more accountable to the people, less people vote in those races and less people yeah. know the candidates. And so they're actually less accountable because <laughs> yeah, they're always going to be reelected. Well, when I ran for school board, I mean, that was that that was absolutely the thing that I was seeing, right? Is that the, the people who had some concerns they were the ones that were coming out and um trying to vote candidates in that they thought would shake things up or make a difference and then everybody else was like oh i like her i'm gonna vote for her and and, and i talked to all kinds of people and that, i mean that was almost word for word for what i got oh i like so and so and so i'm gonna vote for her this time and yeah no mention of uh you know what the what their policy preferences are, or like what they right. would actually do yeah. in the system. Yeah. Well, so. she's in the school, so you know. But yeah, and and I think a lot of it got muddied up too with Orem trying to split off or not. You know, that's they botched that. Let's let's not open that can of worms. Yeah. That's for sure. Right, but but I think there were other issues that impacted those races. But yeah, 
um, people hear about the statewide stuff. I mean, I've listened to some nationally syndicated shows that talked about the the education bill and the transgender bill in particular, just saying, hey, look, Utah's doing this. And, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, there's no reason why some forms of some of those policies couldn't have been, you know, passed down or handed out, you know, give people more option at the school district level for, for their education and what they do with their kids and things like that and try and come up with programs for the kids that are just not working for. And I know they do some of that. I'm not trying to say that they just ignore it, but they're, they're not strongly motivated to do anything outside of recommendations from the state board of education. And so the large, you know, the this, single it gives people, motor, it gives people a way single, to do something else is, is what I like. Yeah. The, the largest single motivating force in education policy is unfortunately the teachers union. And uh, interestingly, there, there's actually something we can do about that, this legislative session. Did, did I show oh, really? you, Chuck, the, there's this bill um, and it says that a, a union, right, a, a private union, um, uh-huh. cannot use government resources in order to conduct its business. Ooh, so it's, so it's very general, but let's just say that that would specifically apply to a teacher's union and government resources would be things like direct withdrawal of union dues from a teacher's paycheck. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so if they were unable to do that. The teacher would have to go into the UEA website, you know, set up uh, automatic, you know, withdrawal from their bank account yeah. themselves. Um, and, it, and it wouldn't be so easy as, you know, just checking a box, like, hey, pay the union, make me part of the union. Right. They'd have to be more deliberate about it. Um, it also means that they wouldn't be able to use the email list of the teachers to right. go and lobby them, uh, which... You know, they, they lobby all teachers, not just members of their union, uh, to go and post things yeah. uh, like the Ed Choice Oh, I felt that very personally. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, they weren't a fan uh, of mine I mean, when I ran. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they, they sent out notifications to not vote for, you know, Charles Wood here. So, I mean, it does make a difference. Um, so I, that's a really important uh bill that's coming up i i'd actually have to figure out what that number is again um but yeah we could talk about something else in the meantime but yeah i mean i I think it's interesting too because it also is down to like facilities right because they conduct a lot of their business in the school after hours and they uh, correct so they wouldn't be able to use the facility for free um they'd be completely on their own but speaking of using facilities for free um, and uh, caucuses and conventions. Um, you know how we have like a deal that public uh, facilities, we can use them for political party caucuses um, as long as we right. reserve them ahead of time and we pay for janitorial. Yeah. That is now, that's now being expanded to higher education. So what that means is that we're going to have a lot more conventions in the Huntsman Center. Oh, okay. And, and UVU, right. UVU, UVU facilities, right. like 
um, that's going to do us a world of good. And it only makes sense because yeah. we are paying for these institutions with our tax money mm -hmm. anyway. So um, as long as we reserve it um, with adequate notice so that you know we can get on the schedule, I, I think that's going to be a really good bill that's, that's going to pass. And, and I know it's going to pass because it's been unanimous thus far uh, through the House side, both Democrats and Republicans, because Democrats want to use this too. Yeah, they benefit from it so, too. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's a, a really good bill. Okay, so that bill I was talking about, um, it's HB 241, uh, Labor Union Amendments. And that means House Bill, House Bill 241, Labor Union event Amendments. And I, I put parentheses, one of the greatest bills of all time. I truly believe that. <laughs> well, the, I think the issue that I mostly have with it, and, and it's not anything against the teachers' unions in particular. I mean, they're, they're probably the more egregious example of this. But they, the, the one thing is, is they're a public sector union, which means they, they've unionized against the taxpayer in order to get better concessions for the teachers. And the, the other issue is, is that they don't represent the teachers well. They, they just go out and support political causes. And so when you see them out doing stuff, I mean, most of the time they're not negotiating on behalf of the teachers. You know, they're not out well, there saying we need to pay them more. They're not out there telling the districts or the legislature to up allocations of money toward them. They're out there advocating for these other causes that have nothing to do with the teacher's well-being. And so, so with this, I, with this Ed Choice bill, they specifically got a massive raise Yes. Eight thousand four hundred dollars, and the union said, "We don't want this bill. We don't want them to get this raise." And obviously, they can say, "Okay, well, there was baggage because there was Ed Choice attached to it." But the Ed Choice right. actually didn't remove any of their funding. In fact, this right. year they're going to get the largest increase of WPU, even separate from that teacher salary right. raise than yep. they've ever gotten before, ever. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I and, and I had a lot of teacher friends who were upset that this bill passed. I'm like, hey, at least you're going to get a raise. And the union apparently in their email said, oh, most teachers won't get the raise. I'm like, no, no, they I read directly the bill. allocated it per like, teacher. Yeah, it, it's going <laughs> directly to the teacher because, you know, yeah, whether they like it or not, the district often keeps a lot of the money if we allocate it to the district, but it's going directly to the teacher. And it's going I to liked all, that too, by the it's way. Going to all levels of teacher, like it's even uh -huh. paying like nurses and therapists that work at the school. So, yeah. um, if you think you don't count, you you likely do count. You're going to get a lot yeah. of money this year, and it's going to be really good for your family. So, you, you won't yeah. be able to control what everyone does uh, in educating their child. Uh, but as a thank you for letting some people take control of their child's education, they're going to pay you a whole lot more. So I yeah. approve. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I think it was good all around. It was interesting too, because um, a lot of people have argued and they argued when I was running for school board too, that the teachers needed to be paid more because they're the teachers. And my argument back was, okay, well, you know, just because they're teachers, right? You can make the same argument for anything, you know, but when you start talking to the teachers and you start seeing some of the impact that, that COVID and, and the way that some things have changed, I thought they deserved the raise, 
the, the issue was, was that I thought they deserved the race because their job was harder and we were asking them to do more than they had been doing before. Right. Not because they were teachers. Right. And, and that's the thing is, is if I'm going to justify spending taxpayer money, I want to justify it. Right. And it was justifiable to give the teachers that money. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I, I come from a background where my wife was a high school English teacher when we met. Uh, so, you know, she, my mom she's teaches high school teacher. math. Yeah, I, I have a lot of teachers in my family. Um, I'm not anti-teacher, <laughs> you know, right. and, and getting this yeah. money directly to them, I think was the right thing to do. And I have some more bills that I'm tracking, like covering like postpartum uh, costs and like parental leave for teachers, uh, things like that. I, I will support. Um, yeah. You know, I, I just want a little bit more transparency and accountability at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Maybe it comes well, at, a, at a cost. The, the state and the districts employ the teachers. They have a responsibility to them to take care of them. And so, yeah. you know, if that's a reasonable, hey, we're taking care of the teachers. Yeah. Let's do it. But if we can't afford it or if they're, you know, uh, that that's the conversation that I want to have, though, is, yeah, you know, what are all the reasons why we need to do this and what is a reasonable amount to take care of that? So, yep, exactly. So speaking of education, I think it's uh, SB 55. Um, that is a repeat of a bill that they ran last year. Uh, it failed last year, even though it's surprisingly innocuous. Um, if you know what uh, scope and sequence is, uh, it's what uh, school districts do or an LEA does uh, with with standards for a curriculum, and they're okay. kind of they're kind of more high level standards. So it's not determining exactly what curriculum or materials that a teacher uses in their classroom. But this allows the scope and sequence district-wide curriculum uh, to be voted on uh, in a public vote by the school board. And so the public is able to see that um, before it gets adopted and uh, it gets more people involved, right? It gets the stakeholders involved and then you can go to the school board meeting, seek for or against it. And then the school board needs to vote on it in, in a public vote. So then they're accountable right. to what's being taught in the school. And that uh, past committee this year, that's called SB 55, Public School Instructional Material Requirements for the nerds. Uh, last year, it was SB 114. And, and a lot of people got, got it confused with the other bill that people hated, uh, which was that like teachers had to publish what they taught um at yeah. the end of the week online. So yeah, that's not that's not coming back this year. Um and that's not what this is. This is just uh district wide curriculum. So I'm glad that has support now. It was just a not a good environment to get that ass last year. Um yep. that's interesting. Anything that you so, can do to improve transparency and just make people feel like they know what's going on. Ooh. Okay, speaking of transparency, this actually has to do with schools, too. Um, the Open and Public Meetings Act amendments, that's HB 21. And this is actually, <laughs> this is actually run by a, a Democrat, uh, Briscoe, this year. Uh, but last year, it was run by Brady Brammer. And this didn't pass last year, but this, this me, me and Chuck have had experience with this. <laughs> but right. uh, so this requires, just, this requires an open just to meeting give people... to... 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just want to give people some context. So yeah, go ahead. Um, so the Open Public Meetings Act is something that we had to get trained on every year as part of the charter school board. And so it just basically tells you the rules. You have to notify with certain ways, certain amount of time before you hold a meeting. You have to conduct, you know, certain any business except for a handful of exceptions in a public open meeting so that people know what you're doing. You have to post public minutes. We recorded our meetings and posted those. I can't remember if that was by law or just a good idea. Um, But yeah, so that's effectively what we're talking about here is, you know, how public entities conduct business or public business. You have to allow people into the meeting. This this bill adds another level and you're required to allow public comment. And you you might have thought, oh, if I go to a public meeting, I can give public comment. Actually, they're not required to let you. Um, Most school boards do allow you to give public comment, Mm -hmm. but for a while, Davis School District was only allowing it once a month or every other oh, one. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, it's always it's always kind of a threat that's looming over you. Uh, sometimes uh-huh. if you go and give uh, public comment that's critical of the job that an elected uh, board or office is doing, they'll say, well, I don't need to give you public comment. So we, we might just take it away if, you, if you're unruly or if you criticize me. Um, but, you know, I think that's part of the democratic process. I think you yeah. need to take the heat, no matter how ridiculous people are. And you got you got to allow them to speak. So uh, this bill does that. And I'm glad that it has bipartisan uh, support uh, this time. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Last year, um, you know, school boards uh, were sick and tired of people complaining about COVID regulations in school. <laughs> And they're like, no, 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 please don't, please don't take away that bargaining chip because we like to threaten the people that we're going to take away their public comment, yeah. uh, uh, which I think is not cool. But yeah, well, twenty one, another good bill. <laughs> well, so the the other issue that here, and you know, having been a, a chair, a board chair of a public body that had to uh, had to abide by these rules, um, part of it is whether or not you know you let people speak. But what I don't think a lot of people really understand is that um, most of the public entities at this point, they record their meetings. You know, Alpine School District does, uh, you know, uh, the charter school that I was on the board for did and still does. Right. And so it's it's out there for people to see it if they want to see what happened at the school board meeting. But the other thing is, is that it also winds up in the minutes and is public record. So if you want to go in and object, you are publicly objecting and it goes on the public ledger for the organization that you're going and commenting on. And, yeah, sometimes nobody's going to go back and listen to what you had to say. But um, I have seen some of these things actually get some momentum because somebody stood up in one meeting and then somebody stood up in the next meeting and then it turned out to be a major issue. And so it's it's more than just what Alpine School District does that drives me crazy with their public comment is they start the timer and they stare at you and then say thank you when you're done and don't, you know, barely acknowledge that you spoke, you know, but yeah, in, in a and, lot of and, cases, and it think- really it really is a venue that you can make a difference in. It, and I think the next level to this, this transparency and and uh, um, right to uh, redress of grievances, 
would be uh-huh. to uh, take away the provisions in some of these policies that say that you cannot um, directly uh, address like a board member or an employee. Um, you know, they, they try to do that to uh, maintain civility. And I'm, I'm actually a fan of maintain civility because <laughs> I think right. that's more effective. Uh, but if I had a board member that I think voted the wrong way or is not doing the job that, you know, we elected them to do, I want to be able to directly criticize them without saying, oh, we're going to get the sergeant at arms to take you away. Don't say we're doing a bad job. I don't know. It seems kind of seems kind of tyrannical in a way. Like, I know the legislature doesn't do that, mm-hmm. but uh, the school boards definitely do. And so I'd, I'd like a state law yes. that actually said you can't have a policy against people criticizing board members. <laughs> well, and that seems like it would be a constitutional issue. And some people are thinking um, the freedom of speech. But what I'm thinking is, is the right to address your grievances to the government. If you have an issue with a government employee or official, you should be able to directly uh, address them in a public meeting. And they they should be required to let you say it. Right. As I, long I think as you're not they, threatening yeah. them or anything crazy like that. Right. I think that's what they sign up for. So uh, speaking of. Well, yeah. Uh, is- yeah. So, so speaking of issues in uh, education, did you see that undercover video they did in Utah? The yes. accuracy in, in media video? Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's this YouTube video done by a group I hadn't heard of before called Accuracy in Media. They seem similar to Project Veritas, but... They, uh-huh. they went undercover and they spoke to a number of different school officials and administrators in Utah. And, yeah. and you know, it, it. the great thing about it is it confirmed what I already knew about a lot of these people that I've, I've met, talked mm-hmm. to personally. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, it's just eye-opening for a lot of people that, um, you know, they, they talk specifically about teaching, um, you know, principles of critical race theory. Uh, but just calling it something different and that there was a loophole in our uh, role um, on the state board level that allows them to do that, uh, which is unfortunate because there is. That's something we need to address in Utah. We we still right. have we still have critical race theory in Utah um, because we haven't taken uh, solid action against it. We haven't we haven't created a policy with any teeth or any accountability and and teachers right. still do it so like my my nephew he was told that he was inherently racist because of the color of his skin i don't think that's right to tell little kids that <laughs> and i right. don't think it's true either um even if the teacher thinks it's true that's like not their place to share that opinion right and tell the tell the kids that's what they should think right um yep. you know he was also taught that you know cops killed uh, people basically for fun, uh, especially black kids. They would just go out and kill black kids. And I right. don't think that there's there's data to support that. I think every unjust killing is wrong. And we can talk about police brutality, but I don't think we should be making stereotypes that are factually inaccurate and politically biased. And so that, that still occurs in our state because we haven't taken action. And so that that's mm-hmm. something tangible that we can do. Um, uh, you know, as listeners to the program, it, is that we can contact our state school board members and say, hey, 
our mm-hmm. our rule, our critical race theory rule, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can call it R two seven seven three two eight if you want. I'm dorky enough that I know that. That's number. pretty specific. <laughs> it is. It's called the educa- educational equity in schools rule. It doesn't sound like a rule that would prohibit CRT, does it? it and it nope. doesn't. <laughs> um, yeah, R two seven seven three two eight until your state school board member, not your local school board, state school board, um, that we need to revisit this rule and we need to mm-hmm. stop teachers from doing this because it's the minority of teachers, right? Like yeah, I, right. I honestly think that oh, most absolutely. teachers are, are trying to do their best. They're doing a good job and they're frustrated because they feel like they're getting a bad rap because some minority of teachers is deciding mm-hmm. that their job is for activism instead of for education. Right. Like it's yeah. their job to teach moral values to these children instead of their parents which, you know, I yeah. fundamentally disagree with. <laughs> well, if, the, if, the other thing is, because you mentioned go to your state school board member and talk to them. And I, I, I completely agree. But the other thing is, and I don't think people really understand this, is that most of the school districts and school boards take their lead from the state board of education. And so they won't do anything above and beyond what the state board does. The other thing that they don't know is that the most of these boards can do that right they can't pass policies that contradict the state school board and they can't pass policies that contradict state law but they can go above and beyond in a lot of ways as long as they're not violating the rights of their students or teachers and so they could pass a policy that does close this loophole and say we're not going to tolerate it here in this district and then unless the legislature or the state school board changed the, the rules, that'll stand and they can make that actionable and they can make it a fireable offense. They have that power. And so, go, abs- yes, go talk to your state could. school boards, but then go look at the people on your local school board and make sure that they're willing to take action on these things as well, because a lot of these folks aren't willing to stand up. And if you can give them enough support or, you know, let them know that you're, you know, start a movement, start talking to your neighbors, you know, you start getting some of this rolling. Maybe some of them want to do this or are willing to do this, but they're not willing to spend the political capital. But if you, their constituents, get enough of a movement going, then you may be able to get them to do it anyway. Well, and, and I think that's the point. You need, you need enough people, you need enough mm-hmm. pressure in order to move that needle the right direction. So, uh, for instance, um, exactly what you were talking about, Chuck. So in Davis, uh, Davis School Board, they do a lot of things wrong. In fact, they might be one of the worst in the state, but they did one <laughs> single thing right. They did one single thing right, and they, right. Formed a po- they formed a policy that you could not have ideological symbols up in your classroom. You couldn't have anything... Mm-hmm indicating, uh, you know, political opinion or moral ideology, right? Right. So I couldn't, I could go up and put a, a big cross in my classroom, like, right. which you figure, of course, you're not going to do that. <laughs> but, right. uh, like, you know, similarly, I couldn't, you know, hang up a Black Lives Matter flag because it represents that organization, which is very partisan right. and political. And so they they formed that uh, policy, even though on a state board level, they refused to pass that policy. 
Right. Um, so unfortunately, at the state level, we don't have a, a blanket policy. But, you know, there's a couple different school boards in the state that do have that better policy. And they actually did take action. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, Davis School Board doesn't do as well with some of the other issues. But right. we could talk about well, that in another episode. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's the other thing just to keep in mind is that they may pass the policy and then they may not enforce it. So you still have to hold their feet to the fire. Um, and I've seen that on a number of issues in a number of places. So. So, yeah, just um, we, talked a lot about, we talked a lot about education. You also mentioned what you were calling the, the transgender bill. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I, I think you're referring to FB16, uh, yeah. which is the, uh, the moratorium on, uh, on gender, you know, quote unquote, gender affirming surgery. Right. right. So if, if a kid has gender dysphoria and they're under the age of 18, um, there's no a moratorium saying, you know, starting now, uh, you can no longer start on puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. Um, right. and then, and then surgery before the age of 18 is just banned across the board. Um, right. and, and this is something that's been in the works for actually like four years in Utah now. Oh yeah. Uh, it's been a really heavy lift. Um, and you know, they're finally getting it passed this year. And I think a lot of that is some of the other things that are happening nationally. But, you know, my, my Senator, Mike Kennedy, is the one who ran this bill. And, and we spoke a little bit about this before. Session. He's so awesome. Oh, he's so awesome. And he's a doctor. And so he ha- has clout uh, in the arena of you right. know, medical treatment. And, you know, he, he brought up a good point, right? Like, even if you're taking something that's bad for you and maybe you're addicted to it, or you're dependent on it. Um, uh-huh. Like if you stop using that cold turkey, it could be bad for you. It could open up this state to lawsuits. If like, right. you know, if that happens to be cross-sex hormones, like you quit using testosterone and mm-hmm. you like lose your mind, which is actually a very real possibility. Um, right. So he said, anyone, anyone who's already started this, you can continue to do it. You still can't get surgery before you're 18. Um, but you can continue to do this. Um, but any anybody new, we're gonna we're gonna end this, right? We're done uh, doing the, the sex changes on minors, and I think right. that's just such such a good thing. Um, you know, we had six minor females in 2016 that were taking testosterone uh, for transition purposes. Uh, so not very many, right, out of our total population. Uh, and that went up into the 800, like 800 around 50 uh, minor girls per year were on testosterone. Um, oh, wow. As, as of last year. And so quite a lot. It's gone up 10,000%. And we can, we can uh, pick our guesses on why that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a 10,000% increase in the amount of minor females of our state that are now not going to be able to have children. Um, right. And making that serious of a decision is very difficult. Even, even with your, you know, parents approval, there's things in a mm-hmm. state that we don't let parents approve of before you're 18. Like, 
You can't get parental consent uh, to go skydiving before you're 18. You can't get parental oh, okay. consent to, to join the military before you're 18 or to smoke or to drink. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think if you're over 16, you can get parental consent to get a tattoo. But anyway. <laughs> right. No, but it makes um, sense. I mean, uh, all the things you're talking about have long-term long-term consequences that ultimately I could imagine kids saying, you know, coming to the point where they they realize that this wasn't going to get them where they wanted to go, but you can't reverse it at that point. And so, yeah, just making sure that they're at least adults, right, legally before they start making these decisions yeah. makes because a lot of still, sense because then at that point it, it's I still a don't think they're mature enough to make those with. decisions but yeah 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 but I, I think when you're an adult you're allowed to make terrible decisions right you're allowed to make decisions that have long-term costs for you it, and exactly so. and so along those same lines uh there was a couple of other bills um, I don't know where, I think it was SB 73. Um, I'll have to find that one. There was one that said that you couldn't change your sex on your birth certificate until you were 18. If it was, uh, for the purpose of transitioning, um, right. you know, nothing in terms of mistakes made or, you know, intersex, right. uh, or anything like that. Any other reason why you would. Uh, need to change your birth certificate. Uh, but there was a good bill on that, and that was run by Senator Dan McKay. And then SB 100 was really good in its first iteration, but now it's been completely gutted. They passed it, but it means nothing anymore. So the original bill said That's that basically teachers... The original bill said basically teachers can't keep secrets about your kid's sexuality and gender identity and what name you're calling them. Uh -huh. what pronouns you're using. You can't keep that from the parent. Um, right. and, and I know that teachers like to think that they're better than parents and that they're going to, like, you know, protect the child. Uh, that's, that's not their job. <laughs> well, like they, they can, and, and they, again, they can, it's, it's, it's not the majority. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Some some teachers, for some reason, because I saw a lot of them yeah. testify, and they're like, you know, I don't want to. I, I want this to be a secret between me and the child, me and the kid. And I'm like, the, but the parents don't want that. Yeah. That's not what the parents right. want. We want we want to know what's going on at school, and and they have ultimate responsibility for those kids. Yeah, and especially if you're having a conversation, teacher and student, about sexuality just not appropriate yeah, right <laughs> so, no yeah so anyway but they, they changed it to oh the parent has the right to request the child's educational record and that's it now that that's what the final well, iteration of the bill was and that just means that you know if they change it on the school record now you would know if they if your child changed their name oh, um yes yeah, yeah i know um but you know what i was told is I was told they had to do that because there's some new federal regulation through the Department of Ed uh, that they passed when Biden started that would actually conflict. Like it, like it actually requires you to keep secrets from parents, which is very frustrating. So sorry to bring it back okay, to national, so, but <laughs> there's, no, there's but, things we can't do no, on but, a state level because of yeah. what 
what Biden uh, did on a national level. Yeah. Well, and, and that kind of crossover, I think, is fine for this show. It's just, yeah, it's it's down to, you know, yeah, I'm not going to complain about the national issues on their own just because I'm pissed yeah. off about them. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's interesting. The other thing that I'm curious about, though, is that if there's some national rule that was passed under the Biden administration, we're finding out that passed means there was an executive order or there was legislative action or some committee in some department somewhere decided that this was how it was. Do you know which of those it was? It was it was executive department. It's just, it's a it's an administrative okay. rule. But my deal is is I would love to see the legislature actually pass a law, a state law, knowing that it conflicted with an executive order or some rule from some department, and fight it out, because we. We can't we can't keep taking these blows to our sovereignty as a state and to, you know, what we deem to be right here in Utah just because we don't want to fight the federal government. And, you know, especially given the climate with the Supreme Court, I think some of these are winnable. And I think some of these would set precedent for other things that we can then say, yeah, we're not playing this game with you either. So. We've been on for a while. Uh, can, can I mention yeah. uh, at least one more bill along the same? Uh, yeah, do topic one here? more, and then we'll one more. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you had to, and then we'll give people a call to action. Yeah, well, th this is a call to action. This is actually for uh, yeah tomorrow, but it'll probably be too late by the time people watch it. Probably. Okay, so two, Well, but there, there's some more to do after because there's there's mm -hmm. four votes. On, on every bill and in one signature. Right. Uh, HB 228, it's called Unprofessional Conduct Amendments. And um, I don't know if anyone remembers this in the news, but in 2020, even before the election of uh, Spencer Cox to replace Harry Herbert, uh, in the 2020 legislative session, there was a bill that was going through to prohibit uh, conversion therapy. And, you know, that's bipartisan support. I don't think anyone right. likes conversion therapy per se. Um, but in right. their definition of this practice, they included all non-affirmative talk therapy, um, and uh, including, including for gender identity. Right. Uh, so even if someone came in and maybe they're not, you know, struggling with their sexuality, maybe they know what their sexuality is, but they also don't want to act on it, uh, you know, heterosexually or homosexually mm -hmm. or otherwise, um, their therapist would be unable to give them direction in order to maybe not give into desires, right? Right. And because that would be considered conversion therapy under right. law. Okay. The, the interesting thing is that bill didn't pass, <laughs> but uh, they passed an administrative rule through the Department of Occupational Licensure, and the person who was pushing for this oh, was, was this drives Spencer me nuts. Cox. So, yeah. so Spencer Cox got this passed through the Department of Occupational Licensure with the same language as the original bill that failed in committee. Um, and the problem is it prohibits any non-affirmative therapy for kids with gender dysphoria. 
Mm-hmm. So the only legal means by which a psychotherapist can counsel your child as gender dysphoria is to say, well, you should probably transition. Uh, and if you're a parent who disagrees with that, you're, you're not in much luck. And I actually know three right. parents I'm friends with that have uh, a child who's experiencing gender dysphoria and they can't take that child to a therapist because they right. don't want the therapist to tell them to transition. They want right. they want to wait until they're adults and see how they're feeling at that moment. Um, so this bill allows for that. HB 228, it's in uh, committee tomorrow, uh, the House Business and Labor Committee at 340. Uh, that's on the uh, 1st of February. But uh, as I said, uh, this will probably be over and hopefully have passed the committee by then. Uh, you can contact your House representative, your Senate representative, uh, members mm-hmm. of the Senate Business and Labor Committee uh, to current encourage them to vote for this bill. This is not trying to say uh, that we want conversion therapy. We just want to be right. able to do watchful waiting for kids with gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. So, right. and, and I, so I think that's a good bill. Um, because, you know, heaven forbid, I have, would have to deal with that in the future. I mean, all my kids are little now, but, uh, you know, I would, I would want other options besides the right. uh, heterodox, uh, option that most people are practicing right now. Right. No, that makes total sense. Um, so I'm just going to throw in a few other things just to help people along with this. Right. So, um, yeah, we're probably going to get this up tomorrow. Um, which means that, yeah, you may not have a chance to, you know, head up to Salt Lake or jump on a Zoom call and and tell them what you think. But, yeah, assuming it gets through the committee, the way you find out who your representative is in order to get con- in contact with them, you can go to precinctportal.org, right? Yeah, you can go to precinctportal. And, and uh, you just put in your address. And it'll tell you who your representatives are. It'll tell you all the way down to your some of your local folks. Yeah, you'll go, you'll go the in deal to, is, is, to the, the precinct locator, um, and it'll, yeah. it'll tell you all your federal representatives, your state school board, your commissioners, your state senator, state yeah. house member. For legislative session, you're primarily concerned with, uh, with state house and state senate. And it allows you to call them or email them. Has all those options right there. Yep, exactly. Precinctportal.org. Yep. So, yeah, at that point, yeah, you just call them up and let them know what you think. Yeah, so it's it's real easy. Yep. And one thing that I've, I've, after talking to a few folks, that uh, that I know in the legislature, uh, Corey Malloy is my uh, legend or house rep guy. Um, but I actually went to high school with Brady Brammer, and I know a few other folks up there that I've been able to talk to. If they get a lot of calls, that's not normal for them. And so, if you if you if you and you, you can get a bunch of your neighbors to call them up, you may be able to make them sweat a little bit if they're thinking about voting a different way. Leave a message. Um, you know, I mentioned that, uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Don't, I mean, you gotta treat people how you want to be treated. Like if you hear somebody yeah. just start off really hostile and calling names for no reason that you don't even know, you're going to hang up on them. Right. Yep. 
how uh, what's gonna happen but yeah yeah as i said I, you know help out pro-life utah and we will lobby in favor of pro-life bills and we've had some of the bills in session this year that we've sent out like 300 some odd emails about and uh really successful at getting it through uh, each level of the legislature so uh you know 300 on national level means jack swat you have to get like 50,000 messages mm-hmm. to a congressional member before they care but uh at the local level you can make a really big difference just by you know getting your friends and family uh to help yep. you support or oppose a bill yep so yeah so that's that's the call to action is yeah go check see if the bill made it through committee and then call up your legislator what what was the bill number again hb 228 unprofessional conduct amendments all right well uh i guess we'll just wrap it up here um this was fun and yeah hopefully fun. we can dive into some some more stuff next week and and give people another idea of how they can reach out and make a difference in these areas Thank you.